Sound Pages is a literary series featuring resident artists in the Jack Straw Writers Program. Secret. Self-referential. Staged. The dream of a world held close, then hidden away. This program features the work of 2022 writer Jory Mickelson. In the first half, you'll hear their conversation with curator Michael Schmelzer, recorded in the Jack Straw studio. First off, can you tell me about your Jack Straw project? Sure. I was raised by two visual artists who also teach art. And so I grew up in a home where visual art was sort of a common thing as a child. And although I eventually went to pursue it at um, undergraduate, I realized I didn't want to be in a studio painting 40 hours a week. I had some talent, but I didn't have the passion to continue to do it. And so it took me quite a while to find my way into poetry. And over the years, it's been easier for me to think about poetry when I read about painting. And Mm -hmm. so this is sort of me venturing into the world of picturing, of putting together um, ekphrastic work where I'm writing about art or imagining art. And especially within the context of uh, queerness or queer history in art, Mm -hmm. uh, there is so much that I didn't know that sort of gets elided in, in art history about queerness. And as a queer person, Growing up with all of those elisions and absences and silences affected me in a pretty profound way. Like looking back, had I known how much queerness was there, it would have been a lot easier for me to to see myself um, and to see the world in a richer way. And so this project deals with art, art history, queerness, and sort of the imaginative leap that happens between things. I want to talk a little bit about that kind of... Um that queer lens and that queer history and art. Um, During a previous interview I had with a fellow Jack Straw writer, uh, we talked about outsiders. And and I think one of the, perhaps one of the traits of being an outsider is the ability to kind of see the invisible lines or rules within the in-group. I was wondering, I could almost see that kind of being utilized uh, in your work as a person who is outside the visual art world in a way, looking at it and writing about it, using a different artistic medium to talk about artwork. I was wondering if you could kind of elaborate on that a little bit and tell me a little bit about how each medium kind of enriches the other. Sure. I don't know if a queer sensibility exists, at least in a definitive way, but there's definitely an outsider quality to it. As someone who has been immersed in heterosexual culture and narrative my entire life and trying to define myself outside of it or against it, um, that definitely comes into play when looking at art. And especially when so many famous or central artists have been queer and had that part of their art, their personal history erased, it's sort of what can that add to the interpretation of their work Mm -hmm. and also to the imaginative quality of their work. Uh, There's definitely cues that you know how to pick up on if you know what to look for. What are some of the 
challenges for you writing ekphrastic work? I think part of it is not sounding like myself with every piece I approach. Mm. There's always a, a portion of, of my psyche or something I'm admiring about the piece or want to bring attention to. And it's important for me to try and find either new or surprising ways to talk about a piece of work or approach a piece of work mm -hmm. that surprises myself. Mm -hmm. And also for the reader, because, I mean, we don't want a hundred persona poems <laughs> with the same tone of voice, but it, we can easily do that. Mm -hmm. um, I can easily do that, you know. Every poem is its own kind of music. And so I want to think about how can I present different little songs for each piece? Now, I know for me personally, I, I've tried writing ekphrastic poems and I just, I, I feel extremely ignorant in one, even knowing how to respond to visual art and two, just writing about it in any way interesting. Um, I love that you said every poem is its own type of music. And I think that's definitely part of the key to maybe writing an ekphrastic poem is not, I think I concentrate so hard on the visual aspect that I flounder. I would like to know a little bit about what the process is like for you. Do you do research into the art piece itself? Do you do uh, research into the artist? Different pieces of work have different approaches and mm -hmm. mostly I've attempted sort of a collage approach of my research where I'll see an image I may do a little research about the piece. I may lay another piece alongside of it, or I have a poem where I conflate a bar, which I will not name in Missoula, Montana, <laughs> with the ruins of Pompeii. And so, you know, I'm looking at some photographs from the bar and watching video clips of it on YouTube and paging through a book of images from Pompeii as they unearth it and sort of mm -hmm letting those layer one another until they can become imaginatively at least a cohesive product for me. Whether the poem is successful or not mm -hmm. is up to the audience to decide. But, um, you know, so that's one approach. Another approach is to do a deep dive. Many pieces of art are portraits of queer people. And so trying to imagine their life at that period or get inside their head or finding a phrase that they're quoted as saying and letting that be my lead into, into a, a voice. What first got you started on this project? Like, what made you kind of think, I'm going to try to tackle this ekphrastic work? Over the past two or three years after my first book came out, I worked on a manuscript that looks at Western U.S. history and sort of its its legacies and consequences and how the actions of the past can inform our contemporary lives and the choices we're making today. And unfortunately, almost all of it ends up being negative. And as we face things like climate change or uh, identity or in you know generational trauma, like how do we? deal with the legacies of our choices in the past or not our choices, but our ancestors or not our ancestors, but our collective country's choices mm -hmm. and sort of not make them modern, but hopefully to learn and to reexamine and to stay curious about what they can teach us about today. I suddenly realized that I had a huge passion for history, mm -hmm. uh, stories, objects. There's several pieces in that collection that talk um, from the voice of museum pieces and that 
allowed me to consider my failed life as a visual artist or <laughs> all of that great training um, and maybe uh, and a certain amount of confidence to sort of let me enter into the art that interests me. Jessica Jacobs has a lovely book um, about George O'Keefe's work. And it, I read that last year and it gave me permission in a sense to, to write about my passions in visual art in a way that I probably wouldn't have dared before. Is there anything that's been surprising or what have you learned about yourself or your writing while working on this project? In this work, I've been continually surprised at the images that come to mind and not the images that I start with, but mm. the sort of lyric or associative leaps that one makes in poetry. And I think that is so strange. Where does that come from? One of my favorite principles in surrealist art is that you place two images side by side and you create a relationship there that doesn't exist. And our brains are so hungry to create connection and to create pattern that you place a banana and a gun side by side and your brain's gonna immediately tell you they're the same shape or make up a story about how they're related. And so in many ways, these poems have become interesting to me in what other images arise and sort of how I can lay or tile things side by side and create new connections or new interpretations. Has there been any surprising visual art pieces that you've connected with that you didn't think you would? Yeah, actually, there is a portrait. It's a portrait, a, a photograph, actually, by mm -hmm. Alice Austin of herself, Julia Martin, Julia Brett, and they're all dressed up as men. And this is October 15th, 1891. And as I learned about the piece, the photograph had been hidden away in private collections for years and years and had just come to light. Mm. And so we have this, this gender play or this reversal in 1891 that was criminal at the time for women to practice. Mm. And so just the imaginative lives of these women and of the artists living as they wish they could, making mm -hmm. a record of it, and then sealing that record quietly away to be hidden for a hundred years. Wow. I like that you uh, brought that up. It kind of brings me to this other question. Uh, one of my main concerns as a writer is kind of what we pass on to others through our words or examples or, or books, whatever we may have. Uh, what would you like uh, to leave behind? Or what is, what is something that you would like the reader or the audience to take away from your work? If there's one thing that my poems or my writing could convey, I would hope it would convey to the reader a spark or to give them a greater sense about their own curiosity about the world, to look at something and to look at it again, to think about something, to think about it again, to spend more time in wondering about something, spend more time in really getting curious instead of falling back on assume narratives, uh, which I feel has such applications in our times with the divisiveness in the world, that how can we disagree and remain curious about what we disagree with, uh, what we find troubling, what makes us angry, instead of just partitioning it off or dismissing it.
Now we'll hear a selection from Jory's live reading. David Hockney states, I believe the desire to create pictures lies deep within us. Most of us derive a pleasure from looking, beholding, and seeing, and in being seen, in truly being known. How we picture is how we perceive and interpret the events of the world around us. Hockney affirms that the history of making pictures is less about representation and more about how we see. Our picturing determines the nature of our experiences and therefore the very quality of our lives. In a sense, our pictures are really metaphors, not what we are looking at, but an account of how we have seen. This is not a bird, but how a bird looks inside of me, emotionally, spiritually. From one moment, one picture, one experience to the next, we link them into the story of who we are. It is in sharing our picturing with others that we connect, commune, and ultimately become part of something larger than ourselves. Picturing. Five Schmidt blue lines, a horse across a field of white, the painting hanging in its Rheingold of sky. I am ordinary, decor. Haven't visited in a year this gallery, a space for gazing for taking in outside the frame, at the periphery, a face. I look at without looking, a stranger, a regard meeting in the white field, two lines intersecting. To be alive in the eye is everything. Photograph of Alice Austin, Julia Martin, and Julia Brett dressed up as men. October 15th, 1891. Ladies, with an attitude, performing what we might call flamboyant masculinity, but within a private sphere. Permissive impermeability, trousers, cigarettes, alcohol, flair. Alice scowling as if to say, what of it, I dare. And let's not even mention the second Julia's aggressive umbrella handle springing up between her cross legs. It's 1800 and waiting. Secret, self-referential, staged. The dream of a world held close, then hidden away. Self-portrait as a boy pretending to be a boy. The line, you have been dead a long season, comes from Louise Bogan's poem, To a Dead Love. Sometimes I wear a ball cap and become the boy my father always wanted, sure of all that's coming in fast and swinging back with easy athleticism. Sometimes I am just a boy that he never wanted, asking for dance lessons, the bike with the handlebar streamers to watch the cooking show on TV. Those early lessons taught me everything about shame. Self-portrait of a boy pretending to be a boy, still life with child and gendered accessories, red plastic fire truck, action figure, a face looking at my father's face to see if this time 
I'd guessed right. Passed the test for what it means to be A, part of the family. B, a boy. C, on the inside of love. But all this life, I tried my best to survive. Once I was a boy and now I am myself. He who looks at me, my father, the boy I never became, the man married to my ex who takes me aside and said, what did he ever see in you? I admit it. For years, I just paid rent, slept, stayed inside this home, afraid to even paint the walls with no idea how to make it mine. Slowly, the borders opened. Slowly, the toy soldiers put down their arms. In a hidden pocket, I carry a brass bullet casing, a sapphire ring, a song that begins, you have been dead a long season. Forget safety. Everything we love is dangerous. Tell me the story again about the tortoise and the hare. I mean, the turtle and the rabbit, how they raced. I mean, how they decided to, or the part where they were moving as fast as their bodies could carry them. Not only my memory of the story, but yours too. Or not either of those, but of the rabbit's surety. Or was it the turtle's persistence? Tell me about the weather, the dull dust summer sun, or the thunderheads blooming in the blue distance? Tell me about the cool green of aspen. I mean willows. I mean the place where the rabbit lay down to rest. Tell me about perseverance and resting as acts of resistance. Tell me how doing nothing solves it. Tell me about how poets always confuse astonishment with awe. Tell me about the delicate arch of the white hind foot, the sensuous curve of shell. Tell me we are close, that we are coming to the end. Please tell me how to begin. Always there is a bar. Always there is a bar with some drinker's photo on its wall. Even in Pompeii, the brothel's frescoes depict their most faithful spenders. Is an image about persistence or the ends of memory? They say we cease to live when the last person who knew us dies. If true, what are we to make of fame or curiosity? For now, for those of us no artist has seen fit to render, Let's offer toast to the faces in the frames, greenlit by the pool table's glass shade or uncovered with the jade ring in the ashes. There used to be smoke here too, volcanic gatherings of heads bent close and fuming through the night, trading what they have for what remains out of reach. The bar lights coming on at close, stunning everyone. In time, not even our lives will be our own the flank of our speech riding eventually to silence. So let's praise the ghosts of broken drinkers, Jack, Cretronius, Quintus, Benny, Red, though no one knows what their parents called them or who their children wed. Lift a glass to Sivert and Stephanus, not because they were great, but because we still know their names. 
and you are here doing what they'd be doing, reveling in the bullshit and hammered gold of shitty beer, tilting your head down the bar to see who's just come in. I'm going to close uh, with one poem from my first book, Wilderness Kingdom, uh, published by Floating Bridge Press. Synonym for wing. Taking shelter beneath the bridge, the boy's own shadow at 11, when he first saw two older men than his father locked together on the stony bank behind the lattice of July's red willow. The men, either certain of their caution or lost, finally to heat given one to another. And the boy knew then what he had never given thought, and his chest eddied both with curiosity and shame. Though at 11, he could not say from where shame had come, perhaps from his violation of what the men had not meant to share. But to make a sound, break a branch, or to toss a rock would end what he couldn't admit then, that he'd wanted to watch. The trembling of his legs, the holding of his breath, the men's noise among the willows, their own wingful sound. And what then, after the men had come to rest, the lighter-haired one putting his head on the older man's chest as they reclined to watch the low water spill green and slow past the exposed gravel bed and the boy retreating into the woods, then faster, then full out until his lungs a bird's great flapping wings. Sound Pages is a Jack Straw production produced by Carlos Nieto and Daniel Gunther at Jack Straw Cultural Center. Our recording engineers are Daniel Gunther, Joel Maddox, and Ayesha Ubiadelica. Our theme music is by Ron Park, produced through the Jack Straw Artist Support Program. The 2022 curator of this program is Michael Schmelzer, and the narrator for this podcast is Carlos Nieto. The Jack Straw Writers Program was inspired by an over-the-back fence conversation in 1996 between author Rebecca Brown and Jack Straw Executive Director Joan Rabinowitz. The program is made possible with support from the City of Seattle Office of Arts and Culture, For Culture King County Lodging Tax, the Washington State Arts Commission, Humanities Washington, the National Endowment for the Arts, the Rainier Foundation, Arts Fund, and individual contributors. Special thanks to Maddie Lotz and Cassie Nicholson for transcribing our writers' interviews. All of the writers heard in this series are published in the Jack Straw Writers Anthology. You can subscribe to this and other Jack Straw podcasts through your favorite podcast app. To hear more episodes and learn about our other programs, visit us at jackstraw.org. Thank you for listening.